1: Rimal Screen, a R film criticism show and podcast. I am your host, Paul Anthony Nelson, and as my regular co-host, Flick Ford, is on leave for a couple of months, you'll be hearing a glittering array of guest hosts, a murderer's row, if you will, joining me for our May and June shows. And I have to say, before I introduce them, we've got three guests all in the studio for the first time. Since this time, about this time last year, so yeah, it's it's almost twelve months to the week. It's pretty close. Um, so those people in the studio with me now, our very special guest stars like Heather Locklear and Melrose Place. <laughs> Our co-head programmer of the Melbourne International Film Festival, Kate Fitzpatrick. Hey, Paul. Hey, Kate. (laughs) Lovely to have you here. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks. Great. (laughs) And man about town, film critic and writer for outlets such as SBS Movies, Metro and Time Out Melbourne, Stephen A. Russell. It's an absolute pleasure. Honestly, Paul, I've just been waiting for about 15
0: years since I moved to Melbourne for someone to invite me on, and I'm very glad
1: that you've, you, you're the
0: man. <laughs> I,
1: I am delighted to uh, pop your both of your metaphorical <laughs> triple R cherries tonight <laughs> uh, to inaugurate you into the ways of the R's. We are looking at a trio of new releases, all screening in cinemas right now. First, we'll be milking friendship for all it's worth on the cruel American frontier in Kelly Reichhart's First Cow, Then we'll go into hiding with Robin Wright for her directorial debut, Land. And finally, we'll brood and seek bloody revenge with Jason Statham in Guy Ritchie's Wrath of Man. Also, as you listen to us chatting about these films, please feel free to hit us up on our social media channels and leave a comment. Just search for Primal Screen on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Now it's time for the Primal Screen news bulletin for the week. Actress Olympia Dukakis, who won an Oscar for her turn as Cher's grandmother, a uh, cantankerous grandmother, I should say, in 1987's Moonstruck, died over the weekend at the age of 89, just a month shy of her 90th birthday. An actor, director, producer, teacher and activist, Dukakis made her film debut in the 1964 drama Twice a Man, a year after winning an Obie Award for Best Actress in an Off-Broadway Play in Bertolt Brecht's Man Equals Man. As well as uh, Moonstruck, Dukakis was perhaps most famous for her roles in Steel Magnolias, The Look Who's Talking Trilogy, Mr. Holland's Opus, the 1992 TV miniseries Sinatra, and various miniseries incarnations of Armistead Mopan's Tales of the City in 1993, 1998 and 2019. She taught acting at New York University for over 15 years, among others, and was a strong advocate for rights for women, queer people, the environment, and women living with chronic illnesses. 1988 Democratic presidential candidate Michael Dukakis was her cousin and her life was commemorated in the 2019 documentary Olympia. She is survived by her three children and four grandchildren. Any enduring memories of uh, Olympia Dukakis for you both?
2: Um, I guess, yeah, I I was a big fan of that Tales of the City series. Um, One of the iterations, I can't remember which year it was, but, yeah, she was fantastic as Mrs Magical. And I'm a big Still Magnolias fan, so, yeah. And um, fond memories of that.
1: Magnolia from way back. Stephen? Mm-hmm. I mean, she just
0: is an absolute legend. And yeah, for me, it was Tales of the City. You know, it's just one of the seminal queer texts. And she, you know, I'm really glad they brought her back for the, the, the recent Netflix, mm. you know, iteration and kind of almost in an eerie, prescient way, also, you know, killed off Mrs. Madrigal. So at least she got to live out that role. It feels like that was the bright thing. I'm really glad we got to see that.
1: That's beautiful. Um RIP Olympia to carcass. Now Australia's status as one of the few nations to have wrestled the coronavirus under control, something no doubt helped by our geographical isolation, has seen millions of dollars of Hollywood productions planting their flag on our shores for the next few years. After the announcement of New South Wales landing George Miller's fifth film in the Mad Max universe, *The Wasteland*, which is reportedly the most expensive film to ever shoot in Australia, Victoria has been landing its own big fish. First with the Paramount Television and Apple Plus series *Shantaram*, based on the best-selling novel, or Shantaram, based on the best-selling novel, and directed by Justin Kurzel, and now with the arrival of the Universal Television series *L.A. Brea, about a family surviving the impact of a giant sinkhole opening up in the middle of Los Angeles being the biggest series to shoot here in over a decade, bringing a reported $60 million into the state, $71 million is the Australian economy total, with jobs for over 290 local cast and crew members, as well as over 1,000 local extras. La Brea is currently shooting at Melbourne's Docklands Studios. Now, grab a chalk top and join us at the movies for our first film of the week.
2: Why is a baker like a beggar? Right? They both need bread.
1: <laughs> you make it. You just need to stay on your floor. First Cow is the eighth feature film from director Kelly Reichardt. Cookie, played by John Magaro, is a, giant, uh, is a quiet loner and skilled cook travelling west with a rough house group of fur trappers in Oregon Territory, but he soon finds true connection with King Lu, played by Orion Lee, a Chinese immigrant also seeking his fortune... Soon the two collaborate on a successful business, although its longevity is reliant upon the clandestine participation of a nearby wealthy landowner's prized milking cow. Kate, the team at MIF selected this as their opening night film at last year's online festival, and you had the privilege of speaking to Kelly Reichhart in a terrific Q&A on the film. What about this film do you find... I'm sorry, everybody. Utterly fantastic.
2: <laughs> I mean, it had to be done, I suppose, right? <laughs> Not real. <laughs> Um I, I just adore this film. I mean I'm a big Kelly Ruckhart fan already, um and I, I think this is one of her best. Um the the attention to detail of the, the period itself is is just impeccable, I think. It's done in a um not in an overt way, but this it just everybody's living in this space. And the friendship between Cookie and King Lou is just wonderful. Um, they're these two kind of outcasts, misfits. Cookie doesn't really fit in with the, the trappers that he's working with. He's a very gentle soul mm. and they find one another and 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 they kind of they're like you know the first entrepreneurs you know <laughs> of, of, of the country. So I, I think that's a really beautiful exploration of, of um, their friendship.
1: Yeah Stephen, your, uh, your thoughts? Oh, look, I, I mean,
0: I, I found this absolutely spectacular. And again, you know, you're always really aware of the lens you bring to a film, and I'm pretty sure it is about male friendship, but you can really read it as a kind of queer text as well. You know, they're, they're, it's a sort of absolute opposite of the usual colonial frontier kind of stuff that we normally see. where You know, it's there, as you say. The trappers are not the nicest. There is, you know, King Lou has killed a man to save his own life. But for the most part, what we're really focused on is two men making a home together. Like, they're literally move into a little shack. They're, you know, they're doing the domestic chores. They, you know, there's some really beautiful... Right from the start, what, what I love about the way Kelly opens this film is, you know, we... It's not a spoiler. We, we right from the start, see two skeletons entwined together. And there's something really... Almost like a kind of romantic mm. take on you know Edgar Allan Poe or something mm. you know it's just this really beautiful poetic image of their the cycle of life that we're about to see, and you kind of forget that that's where it opens, and you seeing how 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 they get there continually mm. confounds expectations mm.
2: and also um and also cookie's relationship with the cow I just think it's yes. quite magnificent like i mean the, the cow is really fantastically cast because she's, <laughs> she's very beautiful mm. but they're just yeah and I, I love that Kelly Ricart seems to really explore humans relationships with animals mm. um, always
1: softly kind of talks to the cows yeah,
2: yeah and obviously develops an affection between the two of them because, mm. you know, then the cow reacts to him when he's supposedly meeting her for the first time yes. with the landowner. <laughs> um, quite a funny bit. But, yeah, it, it's just really lovely. You know, like she does that in Wendy and Lucy too mm-hmm. in heartbreaking effect. But
0: I really uh, love that, that line. You know, he says, you know, it's sort of a passing comment there because, you know, Toby Jones is this supercilious mm. British overseer who they're quite happily stealing from. But you know he—he he, all he cares about from the cow is that he gets milk and his tea in the morning. Mm. Whereas we're told as a throwaway line that you know she she was shipped down the river with her you know with the bull and with her calf. And he says that beautiful yeah. line: "I'm really sorry about your husband and your kid." Mm. Like it's just a really, yeah. You know, Kelly really revels in these quiet moments of human. Tenderness and connection to nature and even even you know the way it opens again, going back to the skeletons, you know if you look at it closely when when we see the end, and I won 't say too much what happens, but you know it's it's a really heavily wooded area, mm. and then at the start when we first see it, it's kind of a cleared area, and there's mm. a big tanker boat going down the river, and there's just a subtle commentary on. How destructive we are, and and what we've lost as well. Well, yeah,
2: there's that other throwaway line with um, you and
0: uh, Ah, yeah. you and Brendan yeah. Brendan.
2: yeah, when they talk about you know cows don't belong here, and he's like, well, we don't belong here either. Yeah. It's a very kind of. Behind the scenes background line yeah, but there's
0: so much commentary yeah. on you know the the genocide of the First Nations mm. on capitalism on you know she folds politics in in such a non heavy handed way, but really rich
1: texture to everything yeah. you 're seeing. the watchword of the day with this movie is subtle yes, yes. everything is subtle mm. Mm. Um, all of that layering of, of what capitalism and industry have done to to our lands of the um, the, the um, the native people's, um, native Americans' reaction to everything that's going on in front of them as, as, you know, their land is kind of being possessed in front of them. Um, the the friendship, it's the gradually developing friendship between Cookie and King Lou, the way Cookie doesn't fit in with everybody. Like, mm. it's all very subtly laid out.
2: And the disparity of the classes, too. Yes. yes. You know, actually, plenty of milk to go around. Yeah, absolutely. Well, exactly. And like, yeah, so.
0: and it's so good to see, you know, a certain women star, Lily Gladstone, back yeah. to, to kind of pick up that First Nations mm. um, storyline. And also, you know, the fact that this film thrums with the people who have been written out of America, of the foundational myth of America. You know, you have reference to Russian, Chinese immigrants. You've got the First Nations people. And, yeah, she just really explores the truth of what was happening at the, mm. in
1: this period in American history. Mm. It's so beautifully done. I was blind. Yeah, this, I remember when I watched this as Myth 68 and a s opening film, and I was like, it, I think it remained my favourite film on the festival by 100%. the end of it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So be- it's just such a lovely, sensitive frontier drama. And I think it might have been you, Kate, that actually said this at the time. It's a low-key heist film.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: which is fantastic.
2: Yeah. Um, I
0: mean, some of those scenes, you know, when they when when it's all going wrong, when it's all turned to a cat, you mm. know. It, it's, unfortunately, it's like you know, she loves Kelly loves dogs, but it's basically
1: a cat who pivots the disaster of the <laughs> final act. Those <laughs> damn cats. <laughs> it's always those little shitheads. <laughs> um, but you know, they're stalking you know, stalking through the night, and ripping off this uh, this yeah. um, you know, gently extracting this uh, milk from the cow, who becomes a co-conspirator. <laughs> <laughs> um, in, and you know this sort of these, two, but but it's so lovely to see a story about two, particularly with you know the the, the internet's kind of men are trash narrative. Um, <laughs> that it's such a lovely story to see about two gentlemen yeah. finding friendship in this emerging America that's already ruled by brutes. Mm-hmm. And, and and also you know the fact that
0: it also kind of builds in the fact that well they might they might not be long for this world yeah. but thank goodness they were there and yeah. making a go of it. Yeah.
1: yeah. And touching people with their you know with what he's creating in terms of, you know, the, the cakes and everything. Um yeah, because it's Kelly Reichardt, these characters are everything's subtle. The characters develop subtly through small gestures and shared moments. And and Cookie and King Lou, as you said before, Kate, are such wonderful creations. Um, You really feel like you get to know these these people, and and they can't help but earn our affections almost immediately. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, again, just that sweet central relationship, class commentary. It's also beautifully composed. This film is gorgeously shot and four by three, but still painterly. Um,
2: Yeah, the colours of it are just golden, and like literally and figuratively, like they're just so rich and warm
1: and that ratio really holds you Mm. intimately in their arms
0: as well you
1: know yeah it's uh rather than being claustrophobic as it can be like to to effective use in other films in this it feels yeah something about it just feels right Mm. um yeah and, and the surprising suspense at times and this lasting poignance i think this might be her very best work in an already strong career i mean you know certain women took some beating and Wendy and Lucy as well, but I think this might be my favourite of hers.
2: Yeah, I think I mean I, yeah, Wendy and Lucy's always gonna have a very special place mm. in my heart, I think. But this is definitely up there. Is, I think it's absolutely one of her best. Is
1: that as a puppy person? As a dog person or I just... mean
2: I'm I'm am I'm a cat. You're a person. cat person. I have yeah? two cats. Um but I, I love I love all animals. I just Yeah. I, I find that that film gut wrenching. Like it's so um
0: and Michelle Williams. Is Absolutely,
2: than that. yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I think there's a lot of similarities between the two films too, like those unlikely friendships. Mm-hmm. Like you know, King Lou and Cookie are not an immediate match. No. Like you wouldn't think that they would be friends in in maybe another life, but mm-hmm. circumstances throw them together. And I think that's kind of explored in Wendy and Lucy as well. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd say they're probably the two top. For me,
1: yeah, and mm-hmm. there's, I mean, there's also stuff in the way she explores the West and the frontier and mixed cutoff yes, as well, and, definitely, and yeah. that's a that's an entirely that's the flip side of the masculinity in the West, you know, and this is a nice almost a nice counterpoint to that. Look, I honestly,
0: I mean, I've said this to anyone who will stand still enough, long enough to listen to <laughs> me, but I really do think that Kelly Reichardt is the best American director working today. And I mean that. Wow. And I really, it, it, you know, you have to wonder why she isn't the same household name as someone like Scorsese or, you know, I, I'm continually asking myself why. I mean, and is it, is it because cinema, you know, maybe people aren't, Fully used to going out to see a quiet, you know, in thoughtful film. I'm not sure, but yeah. you know, the, the the absolute skill and the you know the the you know assurance with character, with plot, with with dialogue, with you know nature and and then landscape. I, I just I don't think there's anyone out there doing better work right now.
1: Far out. I yeah. I, I think it's partly because, I, and I think what the the, the missing factor that. That hurts a lot of filmmakers. I think distribution is part of it, and I think the fact that First Cow might be her most widely distributed film. I think certain. I feel like *The Women* certain was women. an Acme exclusive almost, like last time.
2: Um, yeah, probably could have been. I yeah. mean, that was with Sony, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, like it, it. Like it just seems like her films don't generally get much of a release. Like *Wendy and Lucy* was a festival film, mm. and yeah, and I just feel like. The, the reason she isn't that household name is, one, as you say, Stephen, because her films are quieter and quieter filmmakers don't tend, tend to get the same heat. And the other thing is just, yeah, is just distribution. I think this is probably her most widely distributed film to date, which is why I think we're all in unison saying, please, listeners, go out and catch Duh. us
2: Absolutely. Now. You have to try and see this on the biggest screen you can find. Yeah, Seriously. I'm.
0: Well, I'm definitely going to go to the Astor screening. You know, yes, you, at that size, that ratio, it's, it'd be spectacular.
2: Absolutely, it's, I'll be there with you.
1: <laughs> might make three of us. Uh, it's, it's a bit of a gift. Yes. Um, first cow is now screening at all Good Palace and independent cinemas. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R.
0: Triple R on, RRR. on RRR. FM, RRR. digital, RRR. online, and via the app.
1: You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Kate Fitzpatrick, Stephen A. Russell, the A is for Awesome, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. We've been polite enough not to ask you all the questions one might want to ask if
2: they found someone like you. No phone. One might begin to wonder how she came to be in this place. Might wonder if she's hiding from someone. I
0: understand your curiosity. I'm not running from anyone. I'm not hiding. I'm not a criminal. I'm here because I choose to be.
1: Land is the directing debut of its star, Robin Wright. Wright plays Edie, a woman who, in the aftermath of an unfathomable event, finds herself unable to stay connected to the world she once knew and retreats to the magnificent but brutally unforgiving wilds of the Rockies. After a local hunter, Miguel, played by Demian Bashir, brings her back from the brink of death, She must find a way to live again. Stephen, did this have you clutching your inner city abode and conveniences tightly? Look,
0: where do I start with this one? Look, first of all, I think that clip you played kind of froze up one of my slight bugbears of this film. The dialogue is very stagey and doesn't really sound particularly lived in. Mm -hmm. So at first, you know, I mean, I, I love Robin Wright. I have all the time in the world for her as an actor. I think she's an incredible force, I was really excited to see her directorial debut. I think it was an odd choice when the film's essentially a one-hander, for the most part, focused on, you know, Robin as this woman who has retreated from the world, you know, and living the wilderness life again, you know, it's kind of linked to First Cow in that way. And there's a friendship at its core as well. I mean, there is, is. Something else too, yeah. But, it, you know, it's a bold choice as your first-time directorial debut to direct pretty much only yourself <laughs> yeah, and yeah. not really have any distance from it. Yeah. So, look, it, the first half hour of this film I found a little hard to take. Mm. I thought it was a little overwrought. It was a little... And just none of the dialogue landed quite right for me, and that's when you know when she's before she really retreats from the world. Mm. But once once you've got Robin Wright in the wilderness, you know, woman versus wild, I kind of really lean into its, its its rhythm then, and, I, mm. and 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 look the landscape here again. If you're if we're talking about films that look beautiful. My goodness, I I was—I really was wondering if I could, you know, how how long I could sit in a in a cabin with no internet. (laughs) How how long could I? Could I? Could Could you do it there?
2: In that setting, absolutely, Alberta, Canada. Here I come.
0: (laughs) Beautiful, so gorgeous. What did you think?
2: Um, Look, I was not a big fan of this film Mm -hmm. overall. Um, Outside of the landscape, I think it's beautifully shot. Alberta is. Uh, obviously, a beautiful part of the world. It just I don't know the 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 film, the filmmaking, the dialogue, the story, and how it all plays out, it all felt a little bit well-trodden and a little bit pedestrian mm. um, overall. Like I, I think she's great. I'm a fan of hers as well, but it just, and it didn't have the emotional pull mm. that I, I think the story. Mm. Felt it should have. Um, I, I didn't feel that very much at all. Um, I think um, Damien, uh, Damien Bessier, Bish- yep. gives a fantastic performance. I, I really enjoyed him. I thought mm. he was great. Um, she's overly earnest in it, and mm. I know she's going through like she's been through a tragedy. But yeah, it's just something not not quite right for me. I didn't didn't love it.
1: No. Yeah, <laughs> I. Um... Bless you, Carl. Um, <laughs> Carl's got hit. It sounded like it. we didn't hit our producer and the panellist in the stomach, but uh, that, was a, that, was a, that was a sneeze. Um, yeah, in the words of Meatloaf, you both took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I got to the end of this, and I was like, this is the very definition of fine. Yeah. It's a fine. It's, it's weapons yeah. red fine. Yeah. It's... It's sweet, it's nicely shot, it's gently paced, it whips up a provocative atmosphere, elicits good performances, creates a lovely friendship at its core and leaves you with a positive feeling. Mm. It just never, as you say, never hits a single beat you don't expect it to. No. It, Even down to the, you know,
2: to, you know the the reveal yeah. at the end. It's like, oh, okay, ah, yeah, yeah, okay. You yeah.
0: yeah. saw so that, and, and the <laughs> exactly. bear. Like, I feel like the whole oh. sequence with the bear. I mean, mm. the bear was the shortchanged. I mean, it really did deserve a more of a more of a role. The but bear was, it was yeah. spectacular. <laughs> yes, I mean, the bear was spectacular, but underused. And yeah. I feel like that poor bear. Deserves a better agent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> need to negotiate. Need some more
2: screen time next yep. time.
0: Okay? Yep.
1: Yeah, I'm not signing on unless I
0: get <laughs> at least five minutes.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, that agent need to fight for that Bears deal points. Um, okay. it, <laughs> it never feels particularly organic or hits particularly hard, as you're both saying. It, this is the thing for me. It starts off at a melodramatic tenor. Like, really, I find that any film that starts off with somebody bawling their eyes out and curled up on the floor and yelling at people, it's like it has nowhere else to go. And the funny thing is, it starts at this high pitch and then walks back into more observational territory. Mm-hmm. Which I, I'm with you, Stephen. Like once it got to that, I started to like it a lot more. Yeah, but and that's the thing, though. But rather than building, you know, building down to this. And so it comes to this sort of lovely ending that you totally expect, but it's, it doesn't give the emotional blow, as you were saying. Kate. I didn't look, mm, I'm a crier, and yeah. there was not a single Same. tear. Like, yeah.
0: It's a bad sign for me if I'm, you know, I, I cry at adverts sometimes. Uh, <laughs> if you can't yeah. can get a tear out of me Absolutely. in an emotional film, there's something not quite right there. There's a, there's a little bit missing.
1: Mm. Yeah, two weeks ago I bawled my way through supernova. Um and and like, yeah, this this just completely bounced off me at all times. And it just yeah, I completely agree, Stephen. It felt that it's it's it felt very um mechanical. Like in terms of the struct but more the structure, the dialogue. It all sort of felt and like you were you were saying, okay, very well worn. It was just like yeah, it's just going through the motions. Yeah,
2: we've seen all that. I I wonder, because you were saying earlier, Stephen, that you think she shouldn't have directed herself. And I think that there's a lot in that. I
0: think if if she'd cast Mm. some other incredible actor Mm. and and actually really focused on the the, the meat and potatoes of direction... Maybe you know because I feel like she you know when it's your first film you've cut out a huge layer of the creative process there where where a director bounces off Mm -hmm. uh, you know a lead and and when you're when you're doing both and it's your first time I just feel like you Mm -hmm. know maybe maybe she would have workshopped some of this a bit more and got more of a performance Mm -hmm. more of a a connection. Yeah,
2: I mean, having said that, I I think the script is.
0: It's... Quite weak,
2: like, mm. a, a, you know, you've still got that framework to work within. So I, I'm not sure.
1: Yeah. That's the thing. The another... whole the whole thing about the the beats that you completely expect—they're yeah. all in the script. And none of that is Robin. You that's know? right. Yeah.
2: No. Exactly. Um, mm. And and that's that's really what lets it down for me. But maybe
0: maybe maybe if, if she had an actor or or if it was the other way around, I don't know. Maybe someone would have said, tone down the star. Mm. Yes.
1: <laughs> Swap it around. It's the it's the, it's the up dilemma. My problem with the Pixar film Up is it's always like it should be flipped. Like it starts far too strong. And has nowhere else to go. Whereas it's it- interesting
2: you say that because I always think of that film and go, I love the first twenty minutes of that film. Yeah, exactly.
1: Other than the talking dog, nobody <laughs> really cares about
0: it. <laughs> yeah, you're right; it really does. I've never, I've never thought of it that way, but it does. You know, it does
1: deliver its best. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah and it's that, always, that, that
2: montage at the start is just that
1: masterpiece. Of yeah. The first ten minutes, and then it has nowhere else. It runs out of road, and that just be a short film in itself. <laughs> exactly. And the funny thing is, with Inside Out, the director learned that. And flipped it, and of course, inside out is devastating. (laughs) And so it's like, oh yeah, he got the message. Um, (laughs) But yeah, this sort of feels like that. But yeah, this is (laughs) the opening ten minutes of Land are nowhere near as good as the opening ten minutes of Up. It ain't the same ballpark, and ain't the same sport. No,
2: but yeah, I get what you mean about the energy of it and what it's trying to elicit from its viewer.
0: And I mean that. And we, we, we're not going to spoil the final act. But you know, what it, what it decides to do in the last two minutes. Of the film was too much, yeah. As well.
2: yeah, and too much in a way that's like you haven't really got us to this point where we're with you mm. on mm. on an emotional level, so that it just doesn't, it doesn't, oh, sorry, it doesn't, um, it doesn't land,
1: yeah, land. yeah. oh, <laughs> <it> doesn't land. <laughs> land doesn't <laughs> land. <laughs> Uh, Yeah, it's, that's the thing. It just, it, it all just seemed to kind of play out in a very pleasant type way and sort of got to the end. It's like, yeah, that's, that is a solid six if I've ever seen one. Yeah. You know, maybe even slightly less. But yeah, um, I, yeah, I too am. I echo the the the, 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 the right fandom. I think she's a, a magnificent actress. It was my favorite thing about Wonder Woman. Um, <laughs> and I, but yeah, I just feel like, yeah, that that sort of perhaps that other actor to bounce off, or perhaps that other, and yeah, a, a better script would have served her well. Um,
2: I'd be interested to see. What she
1: chooses yeah. to do next. Mm. And it's curious. Like, it's like it almost had me wondering. I didn't really dig into the production notes on this one. I, it felt like something that was almost almost would have been shot during the age of COVID because there's only mm. one or two other actors and it's, you know, and it's remote and it's her and directing herself and for most of the film. And, yeah, um, that would almost be an excuse. It's yeah. almost like, <laughs> oh, you should pick this script because this is something you could safely shoot. In in GoV, mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't know if that's. The case. Is it adapted <laughs> from a novel? By the way, it
0: kind of just, the whole way through, I just thought, I bet you this is some massive best-selling blah novel. No, okay, <laughs> I didn't actually check that. I wasn't yeah. sure, but it reads very much like the sort of novel you pick up at an airport <laughs> <laughs> about finding yourself in the wilderness. Yeah. And
1: I, I yeah, I mean, I dare say, I mean, short of Ralph Waldo Emerson's Walden, I don't know if we need films on this subject. It just seems like every time like you think of the terrible Reese Witherspoon film Wild and the, you don't like
2: that? Oh,
1: I hated that I movie feel, I, I feel like that is a controversial bomb to drop on the review I thought oh, wow, that was I fairly standard great. issue
2: uh, uh, I think it's great uh, really maybe, great
1: maybe it comes back to my I think John Mark Valet is largely overrated <laughs> okay. but just um, back
0: off from Reese because we're going to have issues here from what? <laughs> Reese
1: oh I love Reese Good. Good. John Mark is more <laughs> my problem that was biased. Oh, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. That's, yeah that's well, well I love that one. Uh, but yeah, it's and you know, like I know another film that I know this might be more controversial. Another film I know has its huge fans, but I it just kind of bounced off me a lot. Is Into the Wild, the Sean Penn film with um, Oh yeah, with um, I want. It's not Anton Yelchin; it's the Emil, other guy, Emil Hirsch. Emil Hirsch, yeah. Uh yeah, that, I, I just, I don't know. Films about people going into the wild just never seem to really hit me. Yeah, it's... what was
0: that one recently with Kate Winslet and Idris Elba? And I'm like, how could you take two of my favourite people in the universe and utterly oh, boring
1: Oh, you know, I never <laughs> even saw that. Yeah. It, looked <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, it looks really boring. <sighs> <Yeah. laughs>
2: I guess, I don't know, at least for me, I watch something like Wild or Into the Wild, I, I've got a lot of, a part of me is like, yeah. Sell all your stuff.
0: Go out, like just get out there. Don't live off the grid. Like
1: I yeah. think there's
2: a big part of me that would love to do that. So mm. I probably, you know,
0: where are you going to get your movies then, Kate?
2: Well, that's exactly right. This is why I haven't done it, but I can
0: live vicariously <laughs> through these people.
1: <laughs> See, I have a large physical media collection, so I could totally do that. Well, there you go. Oh, well, just, that's true. As long as I have electricity, but you, I'm you know you
2: have to trek it with you through the wires. Oh, <laughs> if you had a
1: U-haul, you could just yeah. start with well, U-haul yeah. DVDs. Totally. Or, you know? Yeah. It's the logistics of the modern uh, human moving out. I'm glad we would we do that, so I'm okay. glad we workshopped that. <laughs> so Land is now screening at all good palace and independent cinemas and a couple of village and Hoyts ones too. You are listening to Primal Screen on Triple R.
2: Independently yours, Triple R.
1: 102.7 You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Stephen A. Russell. Kate Fitzpatrick, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. What are you saying? I don't know what I'm saying.
2: He's not a cop. Doesn't smell like a cop. But if he's not a cop,
1: what is he? He's a dark spirit. How does a cop smell exactly? Wrath of Man is the 12th feature film from director Guy Ritchie. H, Jason Statham, is a cold and mysterious character of few words who is the newest guard hired by a cash truck company responsible for moving hundreds of millions of dollars around Los Angeles each week. Taken under the wing of a veteran guard known as Bullet, played by Mindhunter's Holt McCallany, H only barely passes his driving and firearms entry tests, but he's clearly hiding something, which Bullet and co-driver Boy Sweat Dave, play, played by Josh Hartnett, discover when a gang of attempted thieves are dispatched by H., With perfect precision. Who is H and what is his agenda? Kate, did this decidedly non geezery effort from the world's preeminent geezer auteur catch you by surprise?
2: Well, when you said, like, who is H and whatever, I think, and who cares? (laughs) I really didn't like this film. Um, It's it's not even like I, I can get into fun, mindless action. Whatever, but this wasn't even fun um Jason Statham doesn't look like he's having a good time. everybody looks really bored um yeah I, I did not enjoy this film at all uh and not even in a fun way like I you know like to rag on films not a fun it, bad way no exactly it was mm-hmm. just it was dull um i I didn't understand. Well, first of all, I didn't understand who was Andy Garcia supposed to be. Um, I didn't think the whole, uh, the time uh, shift with, you know, five months later, later. three weeks later, that did not serve any purpose whatsoever to the film. It Mm -hmm. could have just, should have just been a linear story. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it was just... It was just bad. Um, Poor Neve Algar is completely wasted. She's not doing anything. She's not given any agency, just just (laughs) summarily, you know, dispatched with like so many others. Um, I just, and normally you could just dismiss it and think, okay, whatever, it's a a bad film, whatever. But it actually made me kind of angry that people are still giving Guy Ritchie money to make films. Wow. I really didn't like his last film either. I thought The Gentleman was terrible.
1: Oh, I think my partner might put out a contract on (laughs) you. It was one of her favourite films of the year. Oh, wow. Um, Really? Yeah. We loved it.
2: Mm, Yeah. Uh, No, not for me.
1: Not for you. (laughs) And by the gesticulation that was going on. (laughs) Behind the mic over there, I'm tipping it wasn't yours. It's, it's it's you to the student. My
0: poker face is
1: not working. No, now. no yeah. <laughs> yes. I think I've
0: won the pot. <laughs> I think I'll let that maniacal laughter answer for me. But no, oh my goodness, Guy Ritchie has been watching way too many Christopher Nolan films. This was abysmal. Mm. Like, you know, I had fun with lockstock talking to Smoking Barrel Snatch. You know. I,
2: yeah, they're, I mean, they're from the like they're from a long time ago now. But this
0: is the thing, guys, <laughs> right? the man from Uncle. But hang on, it's long long. this is why I think this film is really a horrendous misstep. Because if you're still with Guy Ritchie now, you're with Guy Ritchie for a reason, and that is his totally fake posh boy pretends to be geezer cockney, right? That's mm. that's the Guy Ritchie brand.
1: Yep. This his film, production design his production company's literally tough guy. Yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And this film has just stripped all of that out. There is barely a skerrick of humor in the entire film, apart from an opening salvo largely delivered by Josh Hartner of homophobic, racist, and misogynistic jibes, which honestly, I don't know why we're still doing this in film. Mm. There can be a place for that. But this is just lazy there's no there's no kind of framing of them being terrible people mm. I didn't really like you. I didn't understand who most of the characters were, and it wasn't because the film was really like again Christopher Nolan. Mate, your plots aren't that complex. You just can't tell a story properly. And <laughs> um, so yeah, I did also hate Tenet It's
1: coming um, from Christopher Nolan. I, honestly, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> but uh, oh. the, uh, the thing Jeez. that really, in the words it, of Alyssa Edwards, okay, he's going to come at me that way. Well, you know, <laughs> and the thing is, I don't the,
0: understand this whole, like you, I love a dumb action film, mm. you don't have to make sense, you don't have to be morally upright like I, I'm down with a bit of bone crunching like the next guy but there was nothing this whole subgenre of the you know, faceless deathless emotionless you know, titan that just destroys everything into it, like I did, I did not care about Jason Statham at all. He has no... He is a charismatic guy. He's hilarious and Spy. Oh, I, got, I actually spent most of this film wishing I was watching Spy. Me too. <laughs> And there's... He gave me nothing. And the whole plot has to hinge on you know, a tragedy that he's involved I did not care about him. I did not care about anybody else connected to him. I didn't care about a single character here. You're absolutely right. They squandered you know, an amazing,
2: yeah, yeah.
0: amazing actor who, you know, Raised by Wolves is one of my favorite shows of last year. I I, I don't even know where to stop. Never mind. Star. And that's, the, I
2: think that's the problem. It's 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 not fun. Mm. And those dumb action films are great when they're when they're fun. Like they don't. I don't really need to care about anyone or whatever but as long as it seems fun but mm. most of the people in this film look like they're not even having a very good time actually my fate the biggest thrill i got was recognizing one of the guys dispensing the guns is the bad boyfriend from teen wolf <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow i
2: was like great that's nice. that's, that's the great. highlight of the film for me <laughs>
1: So Guy Ritchie's long-awaited reunion with Jason Statham, the character whose actor, uh, the actor whose uh, career he launched with Lock, Stock and Snatch, and before crashing on the rocks of the Kabbalah in 2005's slick but impenetrable revolver, it's yeah. Look, I don't think this isn't the film the fans of the duo, as I am, would expect it to be. Um, I'm one of those people who have followed Guy Ritchie throughout the years. I really enjoy his films. Um, you know, swept away and revolver aside. Um, This is kind of this sort of fierce, blunt force, constantly brooding, kind of grim revenge film. And it's based on a French... It's a remake. It's based on a French film called Le, Con- Le Convoyeur, a.k.a. Cash Truck, which was the original title of this. Um, And this is the thing. I feel like this is Richie trying to go for something different. He's he's trying this very... It's a very American, very big scale. I I. I don't think you're completely off base with the Nolan comparison. Like, I think he's definitely trying to sort of horn into a bit of that aesthetic. Definitely the horn and the score. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, <laughs> it's redolent with violent shootouts, aerial shots of LA, and this booming, foreboding score. Statham is very much in Brit Bruce Willis mode, although it is the kind of internalised, seething, less wisecracking side. And, I mean, the... And this is the thing, I think he's going for something more serious. I think this is a film that's, his characters are under, particularly Statham is underpinned by grief. And he's very, this is why he's very humorless and very internal. And even the wisecracks he does toss off feel like someone wearing Statham's face and voice, doing his thing without feeling. And it kind of, to me, that fit the character perfectly. It's almost like, this is the guy I'm supposed to be, but I don't feel like playing. Um, and that might disorient fans of Richie's usual hijinks, but... I don't know. Once you settle in, I, I I think, I I think it's for the most part. I kind of found it, particularly once it gets into the heist. I found it a, a, a kind of a well crafted. It's got punchy acting in this building mood, but I feel like it is a hard boiled crime story. I don't think it's meant to be a dumb fun action film. I think it's meant to be like a noir. I think it's like I think it's like a kind of a. Yeah, I, I think it's a pulp novel. If you're going to go for that, then you need some better lines and you need yeah. some better yeah, style. A, I, I do not I, I like the style. I disagree about the style, but I agree about the lines. I think, yeah, I would have liked... I think the two bits where it fell down for me, I think the dialogue could have been so much... Yeah, the dialogue wasn't really up to scratch, even for Richie. Yeah. Mm. Um, And I was left wishing that its characters had a little more, well, character. Well, we honestly,
0: honestly, Kate and I were saying, we literally, we kind of debriefed some of the, the various, you know, it does try to throw a few spanners in terms of what's going on, but it didn't. We we literally couldn't between us figure out what the connection of some groups and, and particularly as you say Andy Garcia. And I
2: just I really actually that's all I want someone to tell me He's a who who is he supposed to be?
1: He's a Fed who's trying to get okay, who this that was team of car beyond people are. One. And that's a, and and that's the thing. And uh, there's something about this plot that I thought was a really cool idea. It's the like the reason why none of the criminals knew who this gang were. Hmm. I thought that was very. I thought that was something I hadn't that I hadn't really seen much, and I thought that was cool. Um, there was there was one guy I thought was a little ray of sunshine. He's the guy that plays his Offsider Mike. He's this guy named Daryl DeSilver. He has this resplendent wave of silver hair. I thought he was fun. Um, and, and Didn't get much of a run, though, I don't know. No, no, he wasn't in that much. But when he was in it, it was like he sort of gave the film a bit of a spark of He life. did, mm. and his eyes. Like, his eyes were doing a lot
0: heavier lifting than this film I found. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> and the other guy, um, the other offsider who's who's... Um, I can't. I haven't got his name to hand, but he is the. Um, he's he was in the uh, Nicholas Winding reference, uh show, To All um, To All to Die Young. He's one of the bad guys in that, and he's one of the Statham's gang as well. But yeah, mm. I, I I did. I because I, I came away from the. Cause I came out disappointed. And I came in thinking, where was the snap? Where was the wisecracks? Where was the? Mm. And then the more I was thinking about it, it's like no, this feels like a, this feels like a noir. This feels like a Donald Westlake story, or a yeah, and and you know something more akin to something like you know point blank or something like that than than you know, not in wow. style, but in terms of you know, in terms of media. You know, That's yeah. a big caution um, I to that. The, Parker novels. The dialogue
2: um, is the dialogue's a real problem yeah. though. Yeah. And I actually found the same problem with the gentleman. I and, I Oh te- no, Gentleman's I text, hilarious Kate. I texted <laughs> a, I texted a friend going, Someone needs to tell Guy Richie it's not the nineties anymore. Yeah. And this this particularly this film mm. so. like Really, we're still talking like this? Well, it's that, so that's, boring! I mean, like, thankfully,
1: that was only in the f- only earliest. Yeah, the, like there was that I really did, gross salvo for yes, the first ten minutes. Yes, I and do like,
0: agree with this. That. Is not yeah. okay anymore. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. exactly. Just like, even
2: even even Neve's brought into it with a what yeah. like, throwaway comment about. Mm. Yeah, it's just it's so. Yeah, it's mm. really like you, we need to move on from this now. Surely, even Guy Ritchie needs to understand that. Yeah,
1: I, I felt the moments in the gentleman was satirising that kind of thing. I thought there was actually a little bit of kind of working back. I mm. don't, I didn't feel that with this movie. I felt this film. It, yeah, it felt a bit look, out look. If I'm mm-hmm. going to throw any
0: bone, then the, I mean, the, the, not so much. You see the final heist, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't. I don't really credit it with enough intelligence to really put it in that category. But what I will give it is that I felt like that, that was when the fight choreography finally mm. got a bit more energetic and I felt like, well, at least I'm getting some visceral thrills from the, the, the kind of very final stretch.
1: Mm.
2: Yeah. yeah, I think I, I, I would agree with that. that. That was one actual moment where I was like, oh, well, I'm, yeah, I'm enjoying this action yep. sequence. It's well shot. It's kind of, you know, thrilling, mm. which is what you kind of want throughout yeah. The rest of it as yeah. well. <laughs>
1: yeah, it is, a, it is quite a slow burn as well, which is, you know, b- both good and bad in various ways. And it's, I just got to say, it's insane how much Scott Eastwood looks like his dad.
0: Oh, God, yeah. yeah both.
1: It's crazy.
0: But also, did everyone know that Josh Hartnett was really tall, or is everyone else just really short? I mean, I know no, Statham's quite, quite I mean, short, yeah, isn't I, he? No, I think he six three
1: or something like that. Yeah, yeah he's surprisingly I was like, Whoa, tall. I've never mm. noticed that you are yeah. a giant. See, that was my question, and the, the, my biggest question in the event was why? Why is he called Boy Sweat Dave? I, I, again,
0: <laughs> I feel like I just like put that in the locker room chat at the start. I was like, yeah. I don't need to know anymore. About yeah, it. it's,
2: <laughs> that's that's not a path anywhere you want to go. No. really. <laughs>
0: That's but also I don't of- think it's like like most of the film, mm. I don't suspect
1: it's any great mystery. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's just as it says <laughs> on the label. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he has boy sweat and his name is Dave. For sure. <laughs> it's very yeah, and like these kind of catchy character names don't. Generally suit the tone of this film, like no. they suit mm. Rock and Roller, or you know, or yes. one of the other films, but or the Gentleman. But they don't quite and I think, sit yeah, here.
2: That's a disconnect between what what he's trying. If mm. you're if you're trying to make this more serious, hard hitting thing, which I
1: think he's absolutely trying to do, then, yeah. then
2: you need the the dialogue and and that to to back that up. And it's kind of like a mishmash of the two.
1: Yeah. No, I I, I think that's a fair. What I think did you think of all... the?
2: The, time. the non-linear yeah, stuff. Yeah, I, like, I really had a problem with it. So.
1: I I didn't have as much of a problem with it, but I also agree that it didn't add anything significant to the story. Mm, like yeah. I did, there weren't any crushing reveals that you sort of came out and going, "Oh wow, it's that!" Like it wasn't. Yeah. yeah. Like um, yeah, I didn't I didn't find that. I am a sucker for chapter headings. I did like the chapter headings, um, but I know you two probably found them inane, but I really like them.
0: Well, <laughs> but... again, I felt like it was the inane take on, uh, you know, Lanthimos. So was like, <laughs> um... this is not the lobster.
1: Yeah. <laughs> See, I was thinking more Tarantino, like he was sort of yeah. going for that sort of thing. But, um, you know, someone in his, his wake who's always kind of followed, but... Yeah, um, yeah. It, look, it's it's interesting because I I I think I don't know if it's going to necessarily appeal to hardcore guy Ritchie fans, but I think there is a strain of people who are raised on Jason Statham's American films who might might enjoy seeing him play something a bit darker. I mean, he's got a
2: he's got a following. People will go and see him in 100%. anything. So. Wasn't it
1: also like pretty much the
0: deathly? the mechanic films that killed his career. Like, I just feel like he's lurching into territory that kind of sunk him beforehand. Mm. The the guy has Mm. oodles of charisma. He he needs to use that, not just be a kind of, you know, uh, unstoppable automaton. Yeah.
1: I, I I just want to see him, and that was probably one of my disappointments because I just wanted to see him play a, like a cockney geezer again where he started because I love him. I love him in those in Lock, Stock and Snatch. And also, yeah.
0: what well, that poster is false advertising. The poster has him um, looking smack in a nice tailored suit, and there is none of that in the film. <laughs> what? what? Just walks around in a uh, bulletproof vest. Did you use cut-offs from a previous film or what? What was that? Like...
2: I do enjoy that he just. Like they don't even get him to bother trying to do an accent no, anymore. No, no, no. It's just yeah, cellular. This is what with, I do. That's
0: it. It looks like an episode of
2: and Eddie Mason, like, yeah, that was so weird. What are that you doing in so this? Weird.
1: I think again, he just likes working with guys in the last film as well. You know, it's that,
0: but he looked really. His accent work was terrible. Well, I, actually, I
2: thought you're going to be you're going to follow in the steps of Jason Statham, and they'll go. You know what, Eddie? Just just be you. <laughs> just don't <tomorrow>. worry about <laughs> it. It's it's fine. <laughs>
1: So, Roth (laughs) of Man is now screening at all good Village, Hoyts, Palace and Independent Cinemas. You are listening to Primal Screen on Triple R.
2: Triple R.
1: You've been listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with special guests Kate Fitzpatrick, Stephen A. Russell and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. We gushed over First Cow and were left flat by land. Which were are both screening at all good Palace Independent Cinemas, and we were somewhat divided over Guy Ritchie's Wrath of Man, now screening <laughs> in cinemas pretty much everywhere.
2: Go see First Cow instead.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and I like that we and I like that we got the signature Stephen A. Russell snort on it. It just left well. out. I, you saved it. Save the best for last. <laughs> It's one of the things we love about you. (laughs) Next week, special guests Emma Westwood and Lee Gambin are joining me for another in our special retro anniversary shows. This time we'll be spotlighting films that turn 40 this year. What will they be? Stay tuned to our social media channels later this week to find out. A huge thank you to Morty Osborne for editing the Primal Screen podcast. To Killer Carl, or I should say Coffer Carl Chapman from now on for uh, (laughs) panelling the show and providing producing assistance.